We welcome each of you to this hour of worship, and especially we welcome any that are visiting with us today. We're glad to have you here, and we invite you to come back to worship with us again and again as often as you can uh, in, the, in the days ahead. We're always glad to have you here. We have a lot going on in the life of the church uh, this afternoon. The uh, membership committee will be meeting at 3.30, followed by the Council on Ministries at 4.30 in the Social Hall. So uh, we invite members of these committees to remember their meeting. Also, we will be having our youth activities as usual tonight and children's activities. Children have uh, their choir practice, uh, is it 5.30, I believe? And, um, and then we also have uh, Bible study for the children following that, uh, classroom time. There are adult activities, Bible studies going on for adults. The youth will be meeting at 6.30 for their snack supper and their program which follows and lasts until about 8. So a lot going on. Hope that you will take advantage of these many opportunities for spiritual growth and fellowship that uh, is being offered here at Memorial Church. Um, you see in the bulletin a word about the cross-training Sunday school class inviting you for their annual night of fun, food, and fellowship, the Cheerful Hearts Midwinter Dinner, which is on Sunday, February the 14th. Now, who can forget that day? Valentine's Day, <clears throat> and uh, it's in the, in the Family Life Center. The tickets are $10 per person, and that is uh, uh, the food and the uh, program that follows. This is a money-raising event uh, sponsored by the Young Adult Cross-Training Sunday School class. Uh, some of the money is given to the church for uh, our continuing work. Some is also presented to uh, downtown Greer Community Charities, uh, to um, like Greer Community Ministries, to, to assist them in their ministry in our community as well. Uh, the, of, of great fun every year is the um, auction which takes place. We've had basketballs from Clemson autographed by all their players. I couldn't believe how much money that went for. And I think it was a Carolina fan. No, not really. Uh, but anyway, uh, we, we do have a great time at that, and I do hope you will plan to be there for that special uh, time of fellowship. We all know that this was a tragic week to the south of us down in Haiti. Um, not only did many native Haitians uh, suffer injury and death, but there were United Nations workers who were there. There were United Methodist people there working for the United Methodist Committee on Relief. And uh, one such person was Sam Dixon, who is a member of the North Carolina Conference, um, was killed. Don Cavan writes that uh, his granddaughter, their granddaughter, uh, who's with the Board of Global Ministry, in New York, knew Sam Dixon well and is seeking prayers for his family in this time of loss. Um, unbelievable tragedy uh, and, and um, misery that is there. Of course, there are very many ways you can be of assistance. If you want to give something to this cause, which will go through this church and through the United Methodist Committee on Relief, 
uh, you may do so. It would be a simple thing to, to just write a check to our church, Memorial Church, and put on it uh, for Haiti relief, and we will send that on to UMCOR. Uh, the great thing about UMCOR is 100% of every dollar that you give gets to the person in need. We already have provided salaries, and so no money has to be given to to support the, uh, the workers. Uh, instead, the money can go to those in need. And so we invite you to give generously as we help our neighbors to the south uh, rebuild after a devastating uh, earthquake this last week. I may be leaving something out. It'll come to me in the middle of my sermon, won't it? Uh, and then I'll just interrupt it and, and give you the announcement then. But anyway, we are glad to see all of you, glad that you're here, and let us now begin uh, our time in worship together.
profession of faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881 of your hymnal. Let us affirm our faith in God using this historic confession of the faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered and Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. This time I'd like to invite the children to come forward to join me for a few moments of sharing. Everybody, I didn't get to tell you all a Christmas story a few weeks ago when it was Christmas <laughs> season. But the great thing about Christmas is it kind of goes on all year because it involves Jesus, you know. So I get to tell you a story today that involves a squirrel. Uh, in 1971, how old were you in 1971? <laughs> <laughs> you weren't born yet, okay. And I was in college, and I was coming out of Walford College one day, and I saw a little lump of fur on the ground, much smaller than this. And I thought, oh my goodness, a squirrel has fallen out of the tree and probably is dead. And then I saw it wiggle, and I said, no, it's not dead. So I waited a while. And the mama, I, I got far away from it, the mama never came down to get the baby squirrel. And so the poor little fellow was just lying there. He couldn't walk. So Penny and I were, were newlyweds then, and we decided that uh, this would be, our, this would be our, uh, our little baby. So we took that little squirrel home, put him in a shoebox, and that was a mistake <laughs> because the next day he got to feeling a whole lot better. And uh, I fed him milk out of a baby doll bottle, and he grew. And oh, did you know squirrels can scream? Man, he woke us up one morning screaming, you know, where's my milk? Well, that's, that's what it meant. He just went, you know. So anyway, he grew and grew, and we had to put him in a bird cage after that because he would get out all over the house. And he got bigger and bigger and bigger, and as winter came, he used to love to get out of his um, out of his cage and climb all up and down me. I think he thought I was a tree. In lots of days when I was reading a book for school, this is what I looked like. Because <laughs> he loved to sit on top of my head. And uh, he was a good little pet. Um, 
except he started getting wilder as springtime came. And one time he was sitting beside me, just nice as could be, and he got something stuck in his throat and he began coughing and he just keeled over and hit the floor. And I said, oh my goodness, my poor little squirrel. So I reached down to pick him up and guess what? He bit me. And he was hanging on to that finger and I was, oh, ow. So I slung him down and he fell off my finger and bounced a time or two on the floor. And so I said, oh, my poor squirrel, I've hurt him. So I took this hand and I reached down for the squirrel and he got me again and I had to throw him back down again. Well, whatever had been stuck in his throat, I got out. He was fine after that. He was kind of wadding around like he was a little bit beat up on, but we put him, put him back in the cage and uh, took me to the, to the doctor. I had to get shots, um, tetanus shots. That was, it wasn't rabies or anything, thank goodness. And that, let me just say, by the way, if you see a squirrel outside, be real careful because they might be, uh, they might have rabies. You have to be very careful, but this one didn't. But anyway, I was trying to be helpful to that little squirrel, and he didn't understand. I was trying to reach down and help him. I wanted to pat him on the back and say, let's cough, you'll be okay. I wanted to hold him close until he got feeling better, but he thought I was out to hurt him, so he bit me. And he never quite understood what I was doing. He couldn't understand. I thought a lot about that at Christmas time because I think about how we have a hard time understanding that God loves us just as we are. And we, we, uh, our ancestors thought God was mad at them all the time. And every time God tried to do something good to help them, they didn't understand that. And I suspect that just like one day I thought, you know, if I could have become a squirrel for just a few minutes, not only would I have been the cutest squirrel that ever lived, but I could have talked to that squirrel and said, it's okay. Maybe God one day said, you know, they don't understand that I love them. If I could become a person, a human being for just a little while, maybe I could let them know how much I love them. Maybe they would know that I care about them if I could be a, a person. And I think that's what God reasoned when he sent Jesus here to be here with us, that he wanted to let us know how much he loved us, just like I wanted to let my squirrel know how much I loved him, and he didn't understand. Well, I hope you'll look at the life of Jesus and realize God's trying to tell you something. He loves you very, very much. Isn't that right? Okay, good. Let's, uh, let's have a prayer together. Lord, thank you that even though I couldn't become a squirrel to help my little pet, you could become human to help your children. And we celebrate that, and we thank you for your love for us, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Testament reading is from Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 5. 
For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain silent. I will not remain quiet. Till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will God rejoice over you. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is from Psalm 36. On page 771, I invite you to stand as you're able as we share this passage together responsively. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. O Lord, humans and animals you save. O God, how precious is your steadfast love. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, in your light we do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your salvation to the upright of heart. lesson is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, how grateful we are to you for your constant goodness and blessings to us. We know this because we see supremely in the life of Jesus, your love expressed to all the world. And when we need to see what love is and to find proof of your great love for us, we look at Jesus who lovingly and completely gave himself for us and for our redemption. And that gives us confidence <clears throat> that you are for us and with us and you, that you are always there to help us. That is such a good thing for us to be aware of because we have so many occasions in the lives that we live to question that. When an earthquake occurs to the south of us and devastates an entire country and kills thousands and thousands of its citizens, we need something to remind us that you are already there binding the wounds and loving the people and that you have sent various people there to bring wholeness and healing and loving care to all of those your children who need you at this moment. How grateful we are that when we live on a world where planet uh, tectonic plates, I guess they're called, collide and, and there are earthquakes and tsunamis and things like this. We don't always understand those things, but we do understand that you love us and that you're there and you care about us. And for this, we're grateful. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to be involved in the rescue effort by our generosity and that you would bless those who go out from our shores and from all shores around this planet to care for your children. May those folks there be embraced by your love, even as you have embraced us. And Lord, we are grateful that you're with us in the lives that we live here in times of happiness and health we give you thanks in times of illness we turn to you and give you thanks for the goodness of your care for us in times of death when loved ones are taken away from us we cling to the hope that as Jesus said, there is a place in our Father's house for us and that he has made a place there for us. And as we face our own mortality, we are grateful, Lord, that you hold our hands and that you're there to guide us through the doorway of death into the doorway of resurrection and new life. We are thankful for this. Lord, we're thankful too that you are about the business of creating change and taking things that are less than they should be and creating them into things that they should be.
And you take sinners and turn them into saints. And we're thankful that we're in that process. And you take weak vessels and you make us strong that we might be your servants. And we celebrate that also this day. As we pray these prayers in the name of Jesus, who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Our gospel reading is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill these jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, Take some water out and take it to the head, to the master of the banquet. And so they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you save the best till now. This was the first of his miraculous signs that Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Here ends the lesson. One of the things that hasn't changed very much since New Testament times is the place of weddings in our lives. Weddings still are charged today with all kinds of emotions. You ask any preacher and they will tell you that funeral services are a whole lot easier to manage than wedding services. One pastor I know says that he has been much more successful with funerals than he has been with weddings. At least the people he buried stayed that way. With weddings, there are so many things that can go wrong. The wedding gown or the men's tuxedos might not fit right. Will the singers arrive on time? And will they be in good voice? Will the preacher remember to show up? I know one time where that, not to me, but to another pastor, that's what happened. He forgot. What about the food? Will the caterer have enough food and drinks for the reception? It's no wonder that most parents would gladly give their sons and daughters thousands of dollars to encourage them just to run off and elope somewhere. But still, weddings serve an important function in our society because they call together families and friends so that a new couple may be formally created and then presented to the community. The Gospel of John tells us that it was at this setting of all places, a wedding, that another kind of presentation happened. It was Jesus' debutante moment the first time he displayed his power as God's son. I know that you well know the story of the wedding at Cana of Galilee and how Jesus turned the water into wine, 
But there are a few things about this familiar story that you may not have noticed very carefully before. For example, you may not have noticed that Jesus had deep respect for the rights of others and minded his own business. He was careful to observe boundaries and not to interfere in matters that were none of his business. When told that the wedding reception had run out of wine, he responded to his mother, Dear woman, why do you involve me? What concern is that to us? Jesus knew his boundaries. There was another occasion when a man asked Jesus to make his brother divide inheritance between the two of them. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me? judge or arbiter between you and your brother. Sometimes you and I take on burdens that are none of our business and we would be wise just to stay out of like Jesus was. It's someone else's worry and unless they invite us into the problem, we need to let them handle it. You may not have also noticed that this was not the occasion that Jesus had been planning for his coming out moment. Now, in our day, we're used to seeing how candidates for public office are very careful when it comes to orchestrating the moment of their public announcement of their run for office. The place, the time, and the manner of such announcements can often determine the success of such a venture. In first century Judah, with Romans occupying the street and the sons of old King Herod still ruling in his place, the way someone called attention to himself could be a matter of life and death. This wasn't his moment that he had chosen to reveal himself to the people, and so he hesitates to become involved. That's why he said to his mother, this is not my time. My time has not yet come. Someone has said that Mary appears to be putting herself in the unaccustomed role of stage mother attempting to manage her son's public career. She does seem to be prodding him to do something about the fact that the wine had run out, to make it his business. Now, even though we don't know very much about the hidden years of Jesus' childhood, there is this that we can observe from this incident. Mary had learned that her son was very wise and very resourceful. And he could be turned to and then trusted to help out in times of crisis. Have you learned that about Jesus yet? He is wise and resourceful. One who can be trusted in your times of need and crisis. So perhaps wanting to seize the moment, Mary pushed Jesus just a little bit to do something. And perhaps this is true and Perhaps that's why his response to his mother seems very harsh and disrespectful to us. In fact, it seems so harsh and disrespectful that preachers generally spend an awful lot of time trying to prove that Jesus didn't mean it the way it sounds. Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not come. The New Revised Standard Version doesn't soften that very much. Woman. What concern is that to you and me? That sounds pretty harsh to me, folks. Perhaps Jesus' sharp response showed just how much 
he was preoccupied in those early days of his ministry with decisions about what he must do. His ministry was weighing heavy on him there at the beginning. He was thinking about it a lot. What if this wasn't the right time to act? Perhaps Jesus had hoped for a more carefully chosen moment to present himself to people. He dare not stumble upon the public stage. But the truly remarkable thing about this story is that in spite of this upsetting his carefully made plans, Jesus changed his mind and allowed this to become the moment for his first miraculous action, which revealed his glory to his disciples. Reverend Jack Good, a retired United Church of Christ pastor, wrote, the story fails to mention one of its most surprising but covert features, the ease with which Jesus surrendered his pre-planned strategy and embraced a new possibility. He surely preferred what had been plan A, but he moved smoothly into plan B, the opportunity presented by unexpected circumstances." End quote. Jesus was always one who seemed to know how to roll with the punches. He thought fast on his feet. When an opportunity for teaching presented itself, Jesus would abandon his plans and take advantage of the surprise opportunity. One time he sat down at a well to rest, just waiting on someone to come from whom he could beg a drink of water. And along came a very troubled woman. And in the process of getting him a drink of water, this woman was led by Jesus back to Almighty God as a child. Another time, a simple question, Jesus, who is my neighbor? led Jesus to tell one of his most memorable stories. Every time his opponents set a trap for him, Jesus found a way to use it. Sometimes he ensnared them in their own arguments. Other times he used those as occasions to teach his most powerful sermons. Would that you and I would learn how to take advantage of the opportunities that come our way to help others and to lead them to God. Most times, Things just happen in front of us and present us with possibilities and we aren't ready. May God give us wisdom that we may give good responses to the hard questions we face and act when opportunity presents itself. And maybe the next time our well-made plans run into a brick wall, perhaps we will do as Jesus did and consider how this unexpected development might be useful to God to accomplish God's goals. So Jesus knew his boundaries and he was able to adapt himself when an unexpected door for ministry opened before him. A third theme in this story that you may not have looked at too much is the, the theme of change or transformation. Now look carefully at what Jesus did. <clears throat> there were six water jars there that were used for washing your hands. Washing your hands, people. These were ancient lavatories. Now I'd hate to try to calculate the number of microorganisms per square inch that were present. I will leave that to a microbiologist from Clemson to try to figure that out. 
in those dirty old water jars, how filthy. These would never be considered as suitable vessels for holding drinking water, much less wine, but they were available. And so Jesus put them to use. Now that became a pattern for everything else that Jesus would do. If someone was available, though not worthy, he made them worthy and used them. The fishermen, James, John, Peter, and Andrew, were not trained theologians or priests, but they were willing and available. And so Jesus, Jesus transformed them and used them. Matthew Levi was a cheating tax collector who was a turncoat who worked for the Romans, but he was available when Jesus called him and changed him, and he became an evangelist. Mary Magdalene was sick or perhaps insane, she was one who was said to be possessed by seven demons, but she was available for discipleship, and so Jesus changed her. Saul of Tarsus was the greatest enemy of the early church, but Jesus changed him into the greatest advocate and missionary the church has ever known. Jesus has always taken the very ordinary, the unclean, the outcast, and transformed them by, the, by his power into vessels for God's spirit to dwell in. And he still does this today. So you dare not think of yourself as unfit for duty in the Lord's army. And you dare not think of anyone else as being unfit. If you're available, Jesus will transform you and use you. And the theme of change continues as Jesus told the servants to fill those jars with water and then just take some of that water out and go to the to the caterer and see what happens. Somewhere along the way, the water had been changed into wine. Ordinary common water had been changed into wine. Excellent wine. Wine so wonderful that it should have been used much earlier in the week when people could have really appreciated the good taste. As in every miracle that Jesus ever performed, only a few people were actually aware that a miracle had taken place. Jesus, of course, knew, as did his mother and the disciples, those faithful, lowly servants who had obeyed Jesus and placed water in those jars and then taken some to the master of ceremonies. They, of course, knew, but the head caterer had no idea where this wine had come from and neither did the guests who would enjoy that wine. A very few witnessed the miracle happening, but to these, Jesus had revealed his glory. They too were transformed. So Jesus respected boundaries. He was flexible enough to change his plans and made this crisis an opportunity for his self-revelation. Jesus took ordinary dirty vessels and ordinary water and used them for God's glory. And the fourth thing, though, you may not have noticed is that Jesus is at a party. He enjoyed being where people were living their lives and having a good time. He liked being at the lakeside with the fishermen. He liked being in gardens. And here he is at a party. He was a person who was filled with joy, happiness, and peace, who gave those away wherever he went. Again, quoting Reverend Good, the work of Jesus began in a life-affirming setting. 
The sign of his ministry would be wine, a symbol of human conviviality and gladness. So, expect to feel the presence of God with you when you're where life is going on and where people are living their lives and celebrating. Now, some folks find it a little surprising that Jesus would be attending a party. Oh, teaching at the temple, of course. Preaching a sermon on the mount, of course. Healing the sick, forgiving sinners, that's where Jesus ought to be. But at a wedding party? On a boat ride with his buddies? At a leisurely dinner at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Surely Jesus didn't have time for those things, and we wouldn't find him in our ordinary pleasurable lives, would we? Some folks would have been happier with Jesus if he'd been a bit more like John the baptizer, separating himself from comforts of life, one who was stern and austere. But Jesus really enjoys being with us, and he enjoys life. One of the signs of the coming of God's kingdom was supposed to be abundance of everything, abundant joy, abundant love, abundant justice, abundant mercy and peace. And here Jesus created wine in great abundance, about 150 gallons of abundance. In this miracle, Jesus was showing that his kingdom had come, and this abundance proved it. God, the maker of all life, wanted to be here to share life with us, giving us abundant life. So Jesus knew his boundaries. He didn't go sticking his nose in other people's business. He was adaptable. His love produced transformations. And Jesus enjoyed life. Those things are the wedding epiphanies of Jesus. Amen.